Today is part five of a message series that I've entitled Warring with the Gods. And um, week one, I gave you an introduction to these three gods that war with us. Um, week two, we talked about um, the, the God of power, Baal, gave you kind of a theological foundation for what this God looks like in our life. And then in week three, I gave you the resolution, the antidote for this God of power. Last week, week four, we looked at the God of possessions, Mammon, looked at some of the details of what this God looks like and how it's expressed in our lives. And this week, I'm gonna give you the antidote for the God of possessions. I'm not sure that I'll get it all done this week, but I'm gonna do my best. Uh, and then in the future, we're gonna look at, lastly, the God of pleasure and the antidote and God's resolution for that. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, and then Deuteronomy 6 and chapter 11 as well are some passages that I'm gonna draw your attention to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, here's what Paul says. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we're not unaware of his schemes. Paul plainly says, you can know the tricks and the devices of the devil. He doesn't have to outwit you. In other words, we don't have to, as children of God, be afraid of what the enemy has planned for us because the Bible says, greater is he that lives in us and me than he that lives in the world. How many of you are glad you've got the greater one living on the inside of you? Yes. And so he says, you don't have to be you don't have to be unaware or fooled by his devices. You can know exactly what the enemy is up to. In Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 14, it says this, direction to the people of God. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. What do those gods look like? We'll get there in just a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. We're using warring with the gods as a way to highlight to us that there are things that we war against. Paul encouraged us and said this, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and wicked spirits in heavenly places. In other words, the world that you see with your physical eye is not the only world that exists according to scripture. There is an invisible world, a spirit world, where there is activity, and we could spend a lot of time looking at the unseen realm, but it's a bit beyond the scope of, of what we can get into today. These three gods that we've laid a foundation for, if this is your first weekend with us, I would encourage you, go back and catch up. The God of possessions, Mammon, the God of pleasure, Asherah, and the God of power, Baal. Now, um, we started something last week, and if anyone's ever wanted my notes, we made a way for you to get those. On screen, there will be a QR code. And if you take your phone out and just use your camera option and snap that QR code, you can get access to the notes. This is something that I think is a brilliant decision that our team has made. And I don't know why we as preachers have always kept our notes hidden and secret as though they're like some top secret item. But um, just I want to give you these so that you can like go back and look at it later. Um, right. So the God of possessions, Mammon is the God that we're going to look at today. And breaking free of Mammon, let me give you four foundational things that won't be on screen. But this is the foundation, and we're gonna pick up where we left off. Number one, please remember this. Um, you are a manager of God's resources. You are not the owner. It's an honor to be counted worthy by God to manage 
what belongs to him. It's an honor to be asked to manage anything that belongs to another person. Why? Because if I were to ask you to, to manage something of mine, there would be something attached to that, wouldn't there? There would be trust, knowing that what I've entrusted to you is going to come back in a better condition than what I left it. Number two, uh, something that you need to remember, we all need to remember is, there will be a day of accountability for everyone as it relates to how we've used these resources that God has put in our hand. Third, um, we are to use the resources that we have not only for our temporary needs, but for eternal needs, for the eternal purposes of God. In other words, that what you have should not only be looked at from a natural plane of your return on investment, there should be a return on our investment that is an eternal reward and an eternal um, response to what we've done. Right, so in Matthew chapter six, this is where we began last week, and I wanna continue on where we left off, verse 24, ready? This is Jesus speaking, and here's what he says. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, this God of possession, this God of riches. Jesus goes on, and now after he says this, we looked quite a lot at what that what that God looks like and how it expresses itself in our life last week. So he goes on now and he says, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and possessions. You can't serve God and riches or wealth. Okay. Therefore, I say to you. So he's built this foundation for you and he's told us, Jesus, the head of the church, says you can't serve both these things, and now he explains why he's telling us about this and what our response and what the answer is. Here's what it says. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry. Everybody say worry. worry. Is worry a problem? Yes. Is worry an issue? I come from a long line of world-class worriers. Anybody else have a deep lineage of world-class? Like, like the mindset in our family growing up was, if you don't worry, you don't care. Like my worry is an expression of how much I care about the situation. And if you don't worry, then you're just a sorry individual and you don't love people and you don't care about people. And, and, but Jesus says this, he says this, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Just pause. Is this my idea? Is this a good idea? No. It's a God idea. It's not just a good thing. It's a God thing. And I'll never forget, right after graduating Bible school, I was teaching a class and my grandmother was in the class and I was talking about not worrying about your life and that Jesus um, told us not to worry. We're gonna, don't, don't worry about me telling you not to worry as I've quoted scripture, all right? We'll get there, because I know what some of you are thinking. That's impossible, everybody worries. Okay, we'll get there, just, just pause. Don't worry about not worrying. I was teaching and my grandmother, she said in her broken English, they immigrated here from Italy, 
She's, should I do it my, my accent or hers? She says, you told me that if I'm a worry, I'm a sin. Let me interpret that for you. She, she was saying, are you telling me that if I worry, I'm sinning? I said, well, I'm telling you that Jesus asked us not to. She said, you told me I'm not supposed to worry? I said, no, that's not what I'm telling you. That's what Jesus is telling you. Because listen, we ought to not ever take credit for what God has said as though it were our idea. He said it, he's the one that has the final authority. See, listen, people will argue with you and your idea, but if you just rely on the foundation of the principles of the word, that's where the argument should end, at least with you. We're not supposed to persuade and argue with people about what the Bible says. We're supposed to know what it says and live it to the best of our ability and express it as a living example. And when those ask us about it, we can tell them where we come up with that lifestyle, why we have that foundation, and then whether they follow what God said is up to them, not you. See, there's no pressure on our lives. Let me just say it to you this way. There's no pressure on my life for you to apply these principles. This is your choice. I believe these principles are the best for me and for you. That's why I'm sharing it with you. And I think Jesus knows what he's talking about. And he knows about the situations that you're facing and the circumstances. In context, he's giving you the answer for the God of possessions, and this is what he says. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Worry is how the God of possession enters your life. Worry is the avenue, the doorway, the window that allows the God of possession to grab a hold of you. Because here's what, Here's what, it, what Jesus is saying, life is more than possessions. But the moment you reduce life down to possessions, then that is the foundation for much of our worrying. We worry about, will we have enough? Will our family have enough? Will there be enough for us to pay our bills? Will there be enough left over for us to do the things that we want to do? What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? Can I tell you that in my family over the last 20 plus years, we've spent a lot of time worrying about food. And I decided to solve that problem of worry because all six of us would get in the car and we're like, we're gonna go eat. And some of you know what the next question is, where? And even more of you know the next response. We've got six different places that we're gonna go. And if you try to feed your family by consensus, that is a recipe for pain and worry. Can I tell you my solution? No, you don't wanna know? Okay, let me keep reading. Look at the birds of the air, or for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? How many of you are more valuable than birds? Some of you are confused by that question. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be a trick question. It wasn't even meant to be a controversial statement to say that you are more valuable than animals. 
Oh, well, praise the Lord. Okay, praise the Lord, everybody. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? You can't grow. You can't get taller with worry. You can't change what's going on with worry, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God clothes the grass of the field, the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith, the opposite of worry in this context is trust. The antidote to the God of possessions and to overcome worry is trust. Watch what he says. God's gonna take care of you. That is enough to begin the faith journey. And he says this, Therefore, do not worry saying. Everybody say, saying. This is the antidote, and this is how faith is expressed. Faith and worry are both expressed by the same delivery system, our words. He's saying worry comes, and this is what happens. Therefore, do not worry saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What shall we wear? Who's going to be the next elected official? What is going to happen in the economy? Why aren't we in a recession? What's going to happen with my job? How are we gonna manage the inflation? What's going to happen if gas prices keep on continuing to increase? Am I going to be able to afford clothes? Am I gonna be able to afford food? What's this mean for us? What about interest rates? Interest rates are going up. Am I going to be able to sell my house and find another one? All of these things that consume our thoughts that are then expressed and released through our words. What shall we eat, what shall we drink? For, watch this, verse 32. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Amen. God knows what you need. I need to say that again. God knows what you need. Amen. He knows. Just pause. Think of a parent that you admire Think of someone who's doing a good job parenting. I'll use Janet and Daniel as one of many examples that I could use in our church family. I think they're wonderful, young parents. Young not meaning to be um, a demeaning term, but to be a complimentary thing that they're young and they're growing and they're learning. And I've watched, and I can tell you something, if Everly or Winston comes to Daniel with a need, and Daniel is aware of that need, Daniel is going to meet that need. I know he will. With everything that is within his ability, although his ability, his ability is not infinite, it's finite, he and Janet both, as parents, will meet whatever need their kids come to them with. Now, how many of you believe that to be true? How many of you would do that for your kids? Anything within your power that you know that they need, would you do it? Yes. Now, their assignment as parents is teaching Everly and Winston the difference between a want and a need. 
And I promise you that every child will ask their parent at some point in time for something they want, thinking it's something they need, and the parent's assignment is to help them to know the difference. This says, your heavenly Father knows that you need, knows what you need, need all these things. What things? God knows that you need possessions. There are things that you require to continue on in life. But, here's the answer. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then, all these things will be added to you. And he end caps it with, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The antidote for the God of possessions to free us from worrying is our trust in God expressed through words. Jesus is saying this is a new kingdom. You're in a new citizenship. You have new rights and a different operating system by which to function in. And this new kingdom has new principles and new laws that govern it. And in order to live under the blessing of the new kingdom, you must learn the kingdom principles. And this is what he is saying to us. That when you understand that God knows you have need of things, you trust him and you release faith through words, then that positions you well in God's kingdom. I just wanna say a couple things before I give you the main content that's on my heart. Because anytime we talk about resources, I have to talk about greed. Because God, and through his word, speaks to us about greed. But I need you to know something. Greed is not exclusive to any type or any certain type of person. In other words, don't make the mistake of thinking that greed is something that only wealthy people deal with. There are plenty of people who have nothing who are greedy as well. And here's the principle of this kingdom idea that we have to learn. That the moment you let go of possessions, possessions will let go of you. To at any moment, at any time, be able to turn loose of that thing means it doesn't have a hold of you. I want to stay there just a moment longer on the greediness. There is a certain type of prejudice that I've observed in the world that there is a prejudice toward people who are wealthy. And there's a labeling of people who are wealthy as a certain type of person. Now certainly, some are. But I've met very generous people with substance. And I've met very stingy poor people. And in the region of the world that we live and in the region that I pastor, I know that the tendency is to take pride in our poverty. <laughs> I've heard it throughout my whole upbringing. People say this, 
We're poor, but we're proud. I just want you to know that God will deliver you from both conditions if you follow the principles of his word. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm gonna go a little bit further because I need to push back against what's pushing against me. And it's not necessarily you. I think there are times where there are things that um, God wants us to know, but that the enemy has kept us back from seeing. And unless somebody like chisel away at those beliefs and break it down, we continue to walk in the captivity that we've been in until someone shows us the truth, and it's the truth that makes us free. Now listen, I'm not preaching to you um, a millionaire mindset. I don't want you to hear me say that everybody is going to be rich. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm simply saying is greed tries to come after every human being. And in a world like ours, in a community like ours, we, are, we allow certain thoughts to take hold of us, begin to shape our mindset about resources, and what I wanna challenge is, are those kingdom mindsets? Is that a kingdom principle? One of the things that I shared with you last week that is that when this God of possessions works in us, we are seldom in a place of financial contentment. That comes out in our words. Always comparing. The currency that I wanna to speak to you about of God's kingdom is words. Think about this with me. I wanna make a case for this from scripture. Romans 10, nine tells us the path to being born again, to being saved. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The very first, the initial way that you step out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light is through a confession of your mouth. It's with the words that you speak according to this verse. That when you are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, you have to say something with your mouth. And so this is, the, this is what I want you to think about. If the very first step into the kingdom is our words, then why would we think that after that first step that that principle is nullified and negated in our life? If you get in to the kingdom with your words, it seems right to me and seems to connect and be um, consistent with what scripture says, as we'll see, that the way into the kingdom is the way you continue in the kingdom. And something that's interesting is we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, that, he's, that God's raised him from the dead, but then in the, all these other areas of our life, we let our tongue go unbridled and unfiltered and unrestrained and just say any old thing that we think and anything that comes across our mind. And what I'm suggesting to you is you have got to put a guard on your life and the guard on your life are the words that come out of your mouth. Amen. Worry, worry is not just a mental thing, it's a verbal thing. Worry is expressed through words, so is our confidence and trust. Look at Mark 11. Mark 11 verse 22, so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. So what's the subject? 
What's the subject of, this, of the conversation that Jesus involved in? Faith in God. Worry is expressed through words, and you're gonna see again, so is our faith. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says, everybody say says, for whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be thou cast in the sea, and so not dot in his heart, but believes those things which he says, believes that he's, what he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say unto you what things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Jesus says that a part of the expression of your faith is in the words that you speak. And if there's a barrier in your life, if there's a mountain in your life, that the response to the mountain in your life is to use your words. Let me say it to you this way. If you want to move your mountain, you're gonna have to move your mouth. Let me give you an example of how this works. This is the way out of the God of possession trap. It is through trust, and trust is expressed through our words. I want everyone to do this experiment with me. I've done it before, but I wanna do it again. If you don't do this experiment with me, you won't, you won't get what I'm saying, and you'll miss the rest of what I'm about to say. I need you to get this, okay? Because possessions have a hold of us. Come in our mind, and then they work this way, watch. I want everyone in the room, when I say begin, even if you've done this before, I want you to do it again, it bears repeating. I want you to begin counting silently to yourself. And at some point, I'm gonna tell you in advance, I'm gonna interrupt you, okay? I'm gonna ask you to repeat something, right? So once again, silently to yourself, when I say begin, start counting, okay, got it? And then I'm gonna interrupt you, and then you have to say something out loud, right? Okay, you ready? If you're ready, say I'm ready. Ready? ready? Begin counting. Say out loud, say God is good. God is say it again, say God is good. Say all the time, God is good. You stop counting. You wanna know why? Because the kingdom principle is this. Your mouth will always arrest your mind. You want to overcome worry? Get out of the battle between your ears. And you wanna move that mountain? Get out of the battle in between your ears and start moving your mouth. Because it's the mouth that's going to move your mountain, and often that mountain is here as much as it is out here. And you got to talk what God says. Now this is not a denial of your feelings. I'm not asking you to say, I'm not worried, I'm not worried, I'm not worried. Even in that, what's the emphasis of what's coming out of your mouth? Worry. So what do you do? You put God's word in place of your worry. God's gonna take care of all of my needs. How do you know that? The Bible says it in a whole bunch of different places. When your back's against the wall and everything looks massive to you and everything looks out of control, you don't know how you're going to get through this, you need to begin to work the principles 
that God has shown us in his word and expressed faith-filled words. Jesus did this during the temptation that we looked at in week one. Every time the devil came to him with temptations, he did not answer silently. He opened his mouth, and in his mouth was the written word of God. And he said, God said, God said, God said. You want to defeat the God of possessions? You better have God's word in your mouth, or else you will never win this battle. I'm telling you the things that Angie and I have put into practice for over 25 years. And I'm not asking you to be the, the police of the words over others, but I'm asking you to put a guard on your own lips and on your own tongue and start paying attention to what's coming out of your mouth. And this will stop these gods from having control in your life. If you want to move your mountain, you need to move your mouth. Second, if you wanna write this down. Your mountain needs to hear your voice. Do you know that your voice imprint, scientifically, is the, one of the most unique characteristics that a human being carries in their life? There's no voice like your voice. It's more you are able to be more identified by your voice than you are your own fingerprints. Scientifically, it's that specific. I told you we were on a, on a, on a flight and um, we got delayed and um, I have enough miles to where I normally, I normally get bumped and upgraded. This didn't work out, so we were in the exit aisle um, in our flight on Friday and... Um, the stewardess comes down and she says, in the case, something along these lines, in the case of an emergency, are you willing to help your fellow travelers by following the rules that are outlined in the manual? And she said, and, and she looks at everyone and said, I, I need you, to, I need a response from you. And so she goes, she goes down, there's like, there's 12 of us. So she goes down and the first person says, yes, yes. And the next person, the third person doesn't say anything. They nod. And this is what she says to them. That won't work. I need a verbal response. I need to hear you say it. Goes to the next person. Yes, yes. And the next person had earbuds in. Their hair was longer, so she couldn't tell. And she just, the person just looks back at the stewardess. And she said, I'm gonna go over that again so that you can hear what I've said and I need to hear your voice. And I was sitting there and I saw it so clear. God gives us his instructions in the manual, but he needs to hear your voice. He needs a verbal response. He needs you to say something with your mouth, not because he's bound to your word, but because he's bound to his. And his word in your mouth is what will move the mountain of the God of possessions. Is that? Right. I need you to teach you, your children to say this. Your mountain needs to hear your voice. You, whatever that mountain is, Maybe, maybe it could be something like, I, haven't, I just haven't felt like myself lately. Something's off. I haven't felt well. Whatever it is, you need to replace that with something different. 
I, I need to close with this because I'm out of time. Am I making sense to anybody? Yes. Right? Am I being clear? I hope you have action step. This is like the practical part of overcoming the God of possessions. The last thing that I wanna say for the notes is, if you knew what was on the other side of that mountain that Jesus speaks about, if you knew what was on the other side of that trouble, if you knew what was on the other side of that circumstance, if you knew what was on the other side of that mountain that God's prepared for you, you'd be talking to it because you'd want that mountain to be moved as quick as possible because on the other side of that mountain is everything that pertains to life and godliness, freedom, hope, all of the things that God has placed in your life. The enemy comes and he puts a mountain in between it. And notice this, Jesus didn't say, um, climb over the mountain. I think of the song from, um, uh, what, what is it? Say it again? Yeah, that's right. The sound of music. My kids used to call it the sound to music. Climb every mountain, that song. That's sung so beautifully. That, that isn't what Jesus says. It's his kingdom strategy for overcoming mountains. He doesn't say climb over it. He doesn't say go around it. He doesn't say dig a tunnel through it. He said speak to it. The kingdom principle in these areas, they fill all kinds of stuff. Speak to it. Proverbs 18.21 says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Let me just pause and say this. For any individual who says, I don't believe anything about what you're saying, I'm not going to do that. Can I tell you something? Doesn't matter. It's working for you either way. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, the proverb writer says. And those who exercise it that way, that's the fruit you're gonna eat. <laughs> Make it plain. Someone says, I don't believe in confessing the Bible. It doesn't work. You've just proven that it does. Because when you don't work the principles, the principles don't work for you. Because you said, according to what you've believed, and that's what happens. But when you start to get God's kingdom principles working, here's what you're gonna notice, that those things that used to have a hold on you are losing grip. Uh, the, the next verse is Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus speaking, for the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. Another passage says it this way, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you don't like what's coming out, check up on what you've put in. For the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart, the good person brings out his good treasure, good things, and the evil person brings out his treasure, his evil treasure, evil things. But I tell you that for every careless word that people speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you're justified, and by your words, You'll be condemned, it's your words. Now, just so we have balance and clarity, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter two, five, this is a faith expression. Faith is expressed through words, but watch, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, 
but on the power of God. This isn't about you getting to make happen whatever you want in the earth. That's the perverted form of this principle. The God-centered part of this principle is that you know that it is the power of God at work in your life when you say what he's said because what he's said is what he will bless, not what you've said from your wisdom. It's the power of God that our faith rests on. There's great big errors in this. People just say, well, you know, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, that sort of thing, and you might confuse what I'm saying with a, with a, um, a perverted form of that belief system. You can just say whatever you want and God will make it happen as if God is your errand boy. Please do not hear me saying that. That is not in my heart, that is not my mindset. This is all based on kingdom principles and the word that God has already given to us here. Can I give you an example? There's no sense in Larry Miller saying over his life, I'm gonna be six foot four. I'm gonna be six foot four. And just keep on saying it. I'm gonna be six foot four. I'm gonna be six foot four. I'm gonna be six foot four and expect God to cause him to grow. That isn't gonna happen. You wanna know why? Because an already established word has gone forth and is, and is governing Larry's life. And here is the word that's already been given that's governing his life. He's been fearfully and wonderfully made. God already made him with that stature, right? So we're not talking about that. We're not talking about you just giving off your wishful thinking. I'm talking about that the way that the God of possessions grabs you is through worry, and the thing that breaks worry is your words that are founded on his word. I need you to teach this to your kids. I need you to model it in front of your kids. I need you to gently and kindly interact with your household, your spouse if you're married. When we hear each other saying things that are detrimental to us and giving way, we need to make sure that we are speaking the word, not worry. If you knew what was on the other side of it, of that mountain, you'd speak to it. You can either, it's just as easy to speak worry as it is to speak trust. It's just as easy to speak life as it is to speak death. It's just as easy to speak love rather than hate. It's just as easy to speak hope rather than discouragement. Let's make sure that in this battle of the God of possessions, that we have God's word in our mouth because we are managing a life and resources that belong to God. On one day we will give an account not only of our resources but that verse that we read a few moments ago said of every word that we speak and we should use our resources and our words for eternal purposes. So I want you to, in the next 30 seconds or so, Get your mind fixed on the thing that's been a mountain in your life and set your heart to speak to it. Not about it, but to speak to it. And say the things that God has said. Now that's gonna require you to do some things. You have to do some 
word searches. You have to get out your concordance. You're going to get out the book. You have to look at it. I can't hand deliver all of those things to you because I don't know all the individual needs. And even if I did, the time would not allow me to cover each one with all the exhaustive scriptures. I mean, I could have spent another big length of time, long time, just saying and quoting to you verses about the power of our words. But for the sake of time, I, I found the ones that I think made the case most effectively for us. So the antidote for the God of possessions is trust by operating in the kingdom principles of speaking his word over your life. And that's how you win over worry. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes at me. Father, we give you thanks for your word today and trust that um, you're the most seen and you're the most heard and that your word and your spirit combined is what will find a home in each and every one of our hearts and minds. Lord, we just thank you in advance that as we apply this principle, this kingdom principle to our life, that we will see this God of possession lose its grip on us. Father, we thank you so much for doing this and so much more. It's in Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen.